I'm here to tell you all about Advisor 3.0 Change Agents. The must attend conference for financial planners is happening in London on 18th of May 2023. Sizzling keynote speakers include Baroness Karen Brady, CBE, and the legend that is Seth Godin, plus Ola Abdul and Sean Hegarty. Co-hosted by Abraham Okasanya and Robin Wigglesworth, guests can enjoy an insightful interactive panels, debates, networking, Q&A sessions, and so, so much more. Grab them now at www.timeline.co forward slash advisor 3.0. You're listening to Retirementals. Welcome to Retirementals. I'm Ibrahim Okasoya, and I am delighted you could join us for the podcast today. My guest on the podcast today is known to, to, to many of you. Uh, Julian Gilbert is the founder and CEO of Wealth Matters. Uh, Julian, welcome to Retirementals. Abraham, it's lovely to be here. This is not the first conversation I've ever had with you, and I'm sure it won't be the last. I'm actually hopefully in quite good mood today because um, we had a, uh, a little birthday celebration in the office ah. today and I bought you a piece of cake. So uh, when you come to the office, you can have that. Um, so what? believe it or not, on Friday, I turned 55. So I could take my personal pension if I want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you I, need it. <laughs> not that you need to touch it at all, ever. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> Julian, thank you for joining on the podcast. Uh, you and I have known each other now uh, for, for over a decade. Uh, and I actually remember interviewing you for, Jesus, this was because, before podcast became a thing, uh, for, for an earlier iteration of this podcast called Advisor Angel. But that was moons, moons, moons ago. But anyway... Um, for, for the purpose of our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you joined this giant profession of ours. I will do. I thought you were going to talk about this great outsourced power plan I work with about <laughs> as well, Abraham, but maybe we'll talk about that later in the podcast, shall we? Yeah, so let, let, let's start with you. you, you okay, you okay, okay. So, so how did my story start? Well, I graduated with a business degree from Aston University back in 1991. I was in the middle of a recession. So if anyone's finding interest rates painful now at 4% base rate, Bank of England was 13% back in 1991. So I didn't really know what to do. I just now needed to earn some money. Um, and I went and took a sales job. I was just, I thought, a three-month sales job. And I found out after I started working in that, that I quite enjoyed sales and I was reasonably competent at it. So I did that for the summer, paid off my student debt. Um, it was actually quite a tough job. Um, it was actually door-to-door selling, which doesn't sound that exciting. It was doing aerial photography. But the great thing about this company, they had amazing sales training. They actually um, won government awards. So you learn a lot about goal setting, how to talk to people, how to communicate. And at the end of the summer, they said, well, you've done okay. Would you like to stay on as a sales manager? So I thought, well, I'll give that a go. So I worked as a sales manager. I found I was not too bad at sales management. I could teach people how to sell, build some team spirit, build some morale. 
So that worked out pretty well for me. And I actually ended up working for that company for about, about five years. And the way we worked, we actually operated for nine months a year working. Then three months a year, they didn't need you. So I used to go off backpacking. So I travel around Latin America, India, yeah. Thailand, and I saw a hell of a lot of the world. Um, and I got itchy feet. So uh, I applied for a working holiday visa and uh, went out to Australia. Um, oh. So I took the sales idea with me out to Australia, cheeky enough to knock on all these Aussies doors. Most of them told me where to sling my hook. <laughs> um, but one of them said, actually, I'll, 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 I'm interested in this. So uh, basically, I sort of partnered him and helped him triple his company turnover within the next year. Um, but sort of had enough of that industry. Um, and I, while I was in Australia, I, was, I joined a networking organization and they had different um, career people speaking each week. One of the guys speaking one week was a financial advisor um, and he was working for AMP. In fact, everyone worked for AMP in Australia at that time in the late 90s. And he described his job. And I was like, that sounds like exactly the sort of job I want to do. And interestingly enough, about four years after I became a financial advisor, I had a psychometric test done on me. And the person didn't know my job. And they said, we've tested thousands and thousands of jobs in the world. And we think you should be a financial advisor. <laughs> <laughs> and they were right, because I absolutely adore um, being a financial advisor. I love working with clients and I love giving out financial advice. Um, but I couldn't do it in Australia because the head of HR wouldn't sign me off because I only had a temporary residency. So I came back to the UK, looked for an opportunity over here. Someone introduced me to someone at Canada Life um, and I got a job with them. Um, and I got three months, a thousand pound a month, and then commission only. Uh, and literally, you know, you pass an exam, you can sell a pension. The pass an exam, you can sell the savings plan. I mean, the exams were really easy in those days. So I just went out after three months and I just had to go out and find clients. So, uh, yeah, I just started as a self employed advisor at Canada Life and worked with them uh, for about a year. So within six months, I'd realized that I did love this industry and love the work. But I didn't like a lot of things at Canada Life. It was a really misogynistic firm. Like every advisor out of 40 in my office were all men. All the sales managers were men. And all the administrations, surprisingly enough, were women. Women, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was so alien to me because the previous firm I'd worked at, all the students and graduates, it was 50% male, 50% female. If anything, the best salespeople were female. And there was a lot of forward-thinking people there. And the other thing that's Canada Life, not only was it like that, but... That there weren't many people that were particularly academic, like there was hardly anyone with a graduate degree. Um, people were doing the bare minimum industry exams. They weren't going for chartered or certified or anything like that. Um, and the standards of the quality of people there, I didn't think it was particularly high. Service standards of clients weren't high. So I was like, look, I love this industry. I love the work, but these are not my values. So I thought I'm going to have to go off and, and, and do this myself. So I joined- It was uh, the place that ambition goes to die. <laughs> Well, maybe, yeah. Well, there were a few good people there, and I did learn some things off some of them. So I don't want to be completely dismissive, and some of the training was quite reasonable. But it just culturally didn't fit me at all. So I went and joined another IFA. Um, he ended up being quite dodgy. So sometimes in business, it's good to see what not to do, because then you do the opposite. So he ended up getting caught by the police and spending five years in prison for fraud. So that was an interesting uh, movement from Canada Life. So I thought I've got to get out of here as quickly as I can. So what I did, I set up a mortgage brokerage called The Mortgage Professionals. That's really where I started my own business. And then when I realized this guy was someone I had to get away from as quick as I could, by that stage, I've been in the industry long enough to set up my own business. So that's when 
Wealth Matters was born. So that was around about 2001. Um, and I started kind of sort of on my own. And then I brought in from the previous firm I've mentioned that I worked with for five years. I brought in um, three guys from that firm. So one is Bruce Nash, who I still work with and is my partner. And the other two guys are brought in, Ed Hodgson and Paul Kluwer. They work, both worked with me for a while and they've both actually gone off and set up their own financial advisory firms themselves. So I'm guessing they're probably looking after 500 clients in this industry. And that's really kind of where I started. Um, so just went out there and was like, had to go and find people, had to go and find clients, worked with a few estate agents and just build up a business from there. That was, that was the start of the journey anyway. And that's, that's how I got, got into it. It's an incredible, incredible journey. So, so tell us today, uh, Wealth Matters, give us a sense of the business, the clients, the team, and, and of course, give us some metrics to, to understand where the business is at today. Okay, sure. So um, from sort of 2003 onwards, we, we kind of grew um, organically. Um, we, we, um, one of the big things that really helped me improve those numbers was joining the IFP. So that was a big thing for me back in 2003 and really getting into financial planning. So we started the, uh, I suppose our RDR was about 2003, 2004, because that's when we went fee-based and when we started doing financial planning. I met Nick Can, who was a huge influence to me. And really just growing the business from there, hardworking, very ambitious. So the numbers today, yeah, you always like your numbers here, don't you? I right? like my numbers. Yeah, people, people yeah. know me. And when they reach out to come on the podcast, if they want to, I, I, and by the way, if you want to, let me know. They always say, yes, Abraham, I'm happy to share my numbers. I'm like, yeah. Well, I, I kind of do my, my numbers anyway, but I wrote them down and double-checked them just in case, just before today's meeting. And actually, I'm a numbers guy. You know, um, I like numbers. I find finance interesting. Um, and I think you've got to know your numbers. You've got to know what you've done and, and what you're going to do. So as a business, we have 270 million pounds of funds under management. We are looking at um, taking on a couple of retiring IFA firms this year. So we expect to put on another 75 million. So we expect by then this year, this year is going to be a huge growth year for us, Abraham. So we think and the market might even help. Hallelujah. You know what? Sorry to, to cut you. When I talk to firms, especially the good ones, and they just say to me, oh, Abraham, we're happy. There's nothing wrong with it, but but so it's inspiring when I see someone who wants to grow, you know, 25, 30% a year. That's, you know, that's good. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And yeah, the markets might even be kind to us and help me in that growth plan this year because they, they weren't so kind in 2022. But yeah, we're hoping by the end of this year, we'll have about 380 million of funds under management. Um, so the team now has grown um, from, you know, a few advisors. We're at to six now because we've started a graduate program. One of our advisors is now diploma qualified, so he's advising. And we brought in a new chartered um, advisor. So we now have six advisors in the practice, four power planners, one business manager, nine people on administration, stroke sort of support staff. Um, Toby, the office dog. Um, so that, that's our team. And we have some outsourced people uh, within there. Some of the people working there, they're, they're sort of return to work mums. So we're very, very supportive of people that want to work and want to also be a great parent at the same time. So we have about 17 full-time equivalent um, staff working the practice within those numbers. Um, we did about 2.8 million last year. We think with the growth plans of this year, it'll be about three and a half million uh, this year. So that works about 206,000 pounds per full-time employee. We currently have about 450 family units, which is often 
couples, husbands and wives, etc. Um, it's about 700 clients in total. We expect, expect that to go up to about 1,000 clients in total by the end of the year. The other stat I'd like to focus on from last year or in general is qualifications. So in 2022, um, we had six people pass exams in the practice and they did 12 exams in total last year and every exam taken was passed. Um, and within the practice, we have four certified chartered advisors, three people with a step legal qualification, one IMC, one chartered, um, we've got 11 diploma and we've trained seven other diplomas who are now kind of outsourced working for us or, or have moved on elsewhere. And I did my maths yesterday and I calculated since we started, I might be a few out on this, but I think at Wealth Matters, not people who've done exams before, we've had 116 industry exams passed in the last 20 years. So we're averaging probably about 10 a year. So I'm pretty play, pleased about that. And most of those exams have been done in the last 12 years as well. It's incredible. You're keeping the PFS going. <laughs> well, PFS, CISI, IMC, um, STEP. So, there's, there's, you know, we're a broad church of different exam bodies. So, uh, yeah, well, someone's got to keep the PFS going, I suppose, at the moment. Incredible result, Julian. I mean, it's inspiring the journey that you've come, you know, that you come up to. Um, the, the, the numbers are incredible in terms of revenue per team member. You know, I, I always think that it's one of the core metrics that, that any business, frankly, should be, uh, should be focusing on. And if you think that generally they say, you know, if you look at UK uh, public markets, you know, a, a hundred thousand per employee is good, right? It's, it's okay. Uh, 270 per employee is incredible. And, you know, of course you can get to, um, um, you know, uh, say Agri's Lansdowne metric. I, I can't remember exactly the figure when I calculated it was something like, you know, probably more that, than, you know, half a million per employee, but that, that's not, you know, the, the metric is incredible. What is it? What would you put the if you were to, going to put you you're a you're an overnight success that took twenty odd years <laughs> longer even what would you put this down to in terms of building a firm that is successful that is serving the clients um, and you still have air on your head <laughs> what if there's such thing as uh, the secret of the business success, what would it be? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest secret is the fact that I absolutely love my job and I'm super passionate about it. And when I come into the office every day, I've pretty much always got a smile on my face. Um, I don't see it as a job, I see it as a hobby. I'm fascinated by money, by finance, by the stock markets, you know, I've rereading Niall Ferguson, The Ascent of Money, and I just find that really interesting. So I'm passionate about it. Um, the key people I work with, like Bruce Nash, are passionate about it. We recruit people that are passionate about it and love the job. And if, if, that, and if you love your job, you don't mind working hard when you have to. Um, you don't mind putting the extra effort. Um, and it doesn't feel like a chore. You know? And I think that's the key thing. I love working with clients. I love seeing them on their journey. I love finding out what their goals are. 
I love setting, you know, working through their financial plans. And, you know, I had a set of clients recently. I took them out for dinner because they, they got into drawdown, they gone into retirement. Um, and they said, Julian, we're just really grateful that you nagged at me all the time to keep putting regular money into our rises, money into our pensions. You did the carry forward. You did all this. But it was just fun. And now we sort of go out for dinner with them once a year. So they almost, you know, they become friends, the client. So it's just something, if you're passionate about what you do and if you love it, um, it's quite easy because you just, you know, it's almost like a hobby. You know, if I have to do a bit extra work one week, it doesn't bother me because I love it. I think that's the key secret to it. You know, and the, the, you know, most of the key staff here, pretty much everyone here do does love the job. And um, because they love the job, they're easy to work with. They don't, no one needs any management. And I think that's the key to it. And because they're passionate, they work hard. Um, they love what they do and they love helping clients. They've got very much a service minded mindset. Um, and we go from there. I, I remember my first office manager, I, or one of the first ones I took on, she said in an interview, well, I'm very old school because I think phones should be answered quickly and emails should be responded to quickly. So I was like, well, the interview's over. You've got the job, you know. Um, and that's the sort of mindset we have here. You know, you treat, you know, how many businesses you work with where the customer service just is hit and miss, they don't reply to emails. Obviously, you've got to be able to do the job and do great financial planning. But if you treat people well, um, and you're passionate about what you do, so much the rest of it, just it just happens. I think that's your secret, isn't it, Abraham? Well, I try. <laughs> uh, no, You are I, passionate. I, you definitely are. Yeah, I, I learn. You know, I learn from you and, and others in, in the profession. I think one of the blessings of my career was, um, or still is, having that opportunity to you know, work with and go into many great financial planning firms to see what, what they're doing. I remember when we met, uh, you know, around a decade ago, and you said to me, Abraham, I, I think, you know, at some, we've, we've been working together and your power plan had left or somebody was leaving. And you said to me, Abraham, I want you to be coming in and plug the gap. I can't remember what you paid me, but at the time it was the most Very money much. I remember. <laughs> I, I, I remember that it, it, it was the most money I'd gotten, I'd been paid by any firm at, at the time, um, you know, to go in as a, as a day rate to go. And we did that for, for a couple of, uh, a couple of year, well, no, years, months, um, and, and gave me insight into into the way your business works, the way you treat people. And, you know, I can say it's, it's been incredible. One of the things that you've, you know, worked on that you've, you've done recently that I keep, um, you know, looking and thinking about is the, is the graduate program as a way to block, right. what's the word, as a way to bridge this challenge or to solve this challenge that many firms have around recruitment so talk to us a little bit about that okay yeah it was a pleasure working with you abraham that's all i can say yeah, you, and and you, and you got rid of me no <laughs> well we found a new power planner and, and well you, you 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 decided to take on the world and uh you know provide all the tech and financial services so uh i'm very happy that you're providing timeline for us abraham so there's your free plug for today um so yeah the graduate program Okay, so yeah, I started working at a life company, and that's what a lot of people did back in 99. They either started a life company or they started a bank. Well, you know, RDR and they're up to that sort of killed off that way of bringing people into the industry. So 
there just aren't that enough people coming to I mean, I think it's a great industry to get into it. I'd much rather be a financial planner than a lawyer or an accountant, but loads of people know about accountancy and lawyers as a profession. They don't know about financial planning. And there's just not many people creating these opportunities now. I mean, St. James's Place actually run a very good training program. There's a few other the big firms do as well, but there's just not much out there. And we found that actually recruiting people, you know, where, the only successful way we found of recruiting people was headhunting people we knew, which I'd obviously done a, a few times, as I previously mentioned. And we have done this with other people, the firm, both, you know, one of my sort of advisors, a lot of them have been headhunted through to the firm. But there's only so much headhunting you can do. And we found that actually trying to recruit experienced advisors, experienced paramounts, it wasn't mm. a success. So mm. we, we, you know... After, after you'd finished supporting us as, in doing your power planning work, we brought in a trainee power planner. It was probably Esther Walker, who's been with us 10 years now, is now an advisor. And we trained her up. And we found that was the best way to get a good power planner outside, outside of bringing you in, Abraham, was to train people up. So we did that with power planners. Um, and then we, we were looking at how we we're going to grow the advisor numbers to really grow the firm. And we thought we need to be a bit more structured about it. So we were already doing a really good training program, getting people to you know, get diploma qualified and training in-house, but it was slightly unstructured. So we, we looked at other people and other people, uh, you know, a lot of people in this industry, the great thing about it is we share ideas. So I share ideas at the CISI and an organization I go to called Ideas Exchange, where there's a lot of really, really good IFA firms. Um, there's a few firms there like First Wealth, Boost, we've, get, we've got ideas from them. We share our ideas with them as well. And off the back of this idea sharing, we created our own graduate um, training program. Um, and I think the most important thing we did with that was we created some a proper literature, like an eight-page brochure, which isn't that hard work to do. And probably the most powerful thing out of everything we did, because I spoke to the graduates, we've had three people work through the program, and they said the most powerful thing that you did is we actually gave them a clear pay structure and clear exam structure. So our graduate program is a four-year program, and you work through that program. You Obviously, first of all, you do diploma, then you do the exam, which I think is the best exam in the industry, which is the certification, which is was through the IP, now through the CISI. Um, you do some AF exams from the CII, maybe do the STEP exam. So it's like going on a solicitor's training program, accountancy training program. But you know, most graduates, they start around about £25,000, give or take, a bit more, a bit less. But that's what they start on. But w before they come and join us, we show them, if you do all these exams over four years, you'll be earning over £50,000, and you will be a you know a you know certified power planner or certified advisor we don't really try and make a decision on which road to go down because when they first start off it's they probably don't know and we don't know which the two paths might be most suitable for them. but it's basically a career path to be a career power planner or a career career advisor at wealth matters and out of the graduates that have come to us we, we found that actually showing them that and showing the recruitment consultants we work with and the other contacts we use to get the people in front of us meant that the quality of candidates that sat in front of us in the first place was phenomenal. All the three graduates we worked through, they've both got very good degrees from good universities. They've all got masters. So they're real top-end people that might otherwise be looking at graduate jobs at KPMG or something like that. And they're coming to us. Um, and they really want the job because they can see it's a structured, well-thought-through program. Um, and they can see every time they pass exam what their pay rise will be, what the bonus will be. We give them paid study leave to do the exams. But we do tell them, Pay study will be about a third of your study time. Two thirds of it you've got to be doing in your evenings at the weekends, just like if you're at KPMG doing your accountancy exams, etc. Um, but they can see the structure, see the progress, 
And then within that, we have a very detailed training program. So the training program is internal. So the graduates are following advisors out in the field and they're presenting parts of meetings and doing more and more parts of meeting. Um, some people in this industry call it diamond teams, where you have an experienced advisor um, and a less experienced advisor or a power planner training them. It's, it's you know, a few other organizations do this. Um, and we also do a lot of in-house you know, training where we do meetings and we work with third parties as well. So we work very closely with NextGen. So we're the first firm in the UK to be accredited for their training program. We work very closely with CISI. Um, Jackie Lockie does some excellent training around the certification. We have a couple of coaches. I've been on Strategic Coach and I've used some of the coaching support there. Um, so there's a lot of support, lots of one-to-ones for the graduates. So they get, you know, they don't get left. They actually get looked after and get mentored. And, you know, they feel very well supported and they can see how they can progress with the firm. So they don't sort of, you know, get diploma and disappear. They, they, they can see there's a long-term opportunity to work with the firm for 10 or 20 years. Fantastic. I mean, I think that that's the key, isn't it? Giving people, um, you know, a, a, a vision of what the career path looks like, you know. And, and when I think about... Uh, and, you know, firms don't, ha you don't have to be big to do this, right? You know, I, I remember yeah. in, in, in the early, earlier days of um, our business, I, I like this idea of hiring uh, graduates, right? Because they're, they're green, they're new, they don't have um, too much preconception, any preconception of the industry. And you're probably looking for two things, right? I, in those days, I'm looking for, um, you know, some sort of numerical skills, right? I want them to have good numerical skills because in the end, uh, at least the side of the business that we're on. And then I want them to have a great attitude towards learning and growing, you know, kind of a, call it a gro growth mindset. And I have to say, so, you know, some of the best people that we have uh, within within our business today, within Timeline today, would be people that we took on with zero experience. All they have is a good numerical degree and, and, um, and you know, a great attitude to learn and to grow. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. So when I think about how the the profession or the industry or you know a lot of firms that we we speak to and they, you you talk to firms about the challenge the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges being um recruitment i'm wondering why can't we all do this you know and you've done a uh, you you've clearly had you i mean from from your description of it you have a much better template um th th than i have seen on there so Kudos to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, very much when we recruit Abraham, um, we look for people that have got hard working, that have got good attitude. And we have five core values in the business, which is get the job done, be a great team member, have a growth mindset, make the client love you and go the extra mile. And we interview people and ask them for examples of in their life where they've actually done those things. And they, they can't prep for those questions. They don't know what our values are before the interview. And that's where we recruit. And if you recruit people like that, sound like the ones you've got timeline, they don't require much management because they're self-managing, because they just want to, you know, want to come in, they're enthusiastic, they're hardworking. You know? And we find that is 
you know, the key to getting good. I mean, it's not perfect. Some people get through it and you go and you have to let them go during probation. But if you get a lot more than right, than you get wrong, you, you, you're doing pretty well. And, you know, our, system, our processes aren't perfect. I'm sure an HR person could pick them apart. But overall, we're pretty good at recruiting people. And when they start here, you know, the last six people recruited have all been very successful recruits. Uh, and they stay here as well. You know, they don't leave because um, we don't really want to recruit them and work here for 18 months and then them go up to the city. That's not what we're looking for. So we're trying to find, a, when we recruit, make sure there's a reason for them to be here in five or 10 years' time. You know, because loads of great people you can recruit and they'd have a reason for 18 months, but we don't want those people. We want people that, are, you know, I, I'm, as I say, I turn 55. I'm, I want to slow down gradually. My colleague Bruce is slightly younger than me, but not much. And he's of the same ilk. So we want people we can bring through a sufficient talent so that their career structure is wealth matters, not wealth matters is a stepping stone. We want to slow down and let them grow and become the next sort of management of the company and then, you know, give them a, a bit of slice of the flesh um, so that keeps them long-term committed to us. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the growth mindset and the idea that they can't really prep for for the interview as such, you know, one of the things I look for when I'm looking, you know, hiring a graduate, you know, I, I can think of say James, for instance, who came into our business, um, uh, you know, best part of uh, four years ago now, you know, the one thing that, you know, he had a good degree, of course. And then I, I realized that this guy at the age of 18 left home, went to America on a football scholarship, right? Got his degree. Right, got his degree, funded his degree in America, and then he came back at 20, I don't know, 22. You know, when the guy told me the story, I'm like, we got, I wanted to hire one person, I'd already pinned down someone, and he came along and said, I, I, I've got to hire, I've got to have this guy on the team. And it, it's that kind of, that's how you bring in pipeline, as, as you say. But moving on, the, the other thing, you, you gave a talk at the, uh, CISI Financial Planning Conference about the the role of women uh, or, or the lack of women or is that the word uh, in, in financial services and uh, you 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 use this quote from Liz Trust who should never be quoted in any talk about business or financial planning. <laughs> uh, uh, when she said, what was she said? It's an absolute di disgrace our financial planning or financial financial services uh, treats women. Talk a little bit about what brought that on and, and what you're doing at Wealth Matters around this. Okay, well, just to clarify on that quote, that, that was back in October where Liz Truss was very much <laughs> in the headline. Um, what she was talking about as a disgrace was the amount of French cheeses we import. That's a very famous speech. Um, but actually, I'm going to correct you on that. I did speak at the CISI conference, but one of the um, our female advisors, Esther, also spoke of that of that um, speech. And actually, she got a round of applause and I didn't. So she probably did the better speech out of the two. Um, and, you know, what the stat I did before I put up the list trust quote was that FCA figures said that 16% of advisors in financial services are female which I also think is a disgrace, you know. At Wealth Matters, up until the start of this year, we had four advisors, two male, two female. We've recruited two new advisors. They both happen to be male. 
but that still means I've got twice as much as anyone else in the industry. Um, I've also got 75% of my management team is female. So I'm the only male manager. So my business manager, my head of power planning, my head of administration, all female. Um, I really do not know why there are so few uh, financial advisors that are women in our industry. As I said, the previous firm I worked for, it was pretty much, I mean, people lived or died by their results. It was a sales environment and it's pretty much 50% male, 50% female success rate. Um, and that's how we recruited and the success rate was pretty similar. If anything, the females were actually better salespeople than the males at the top end, but there wasn't a lot in it, frankly. So in my view, this should be a 50% of advisors should be female. I mean, what is financial advising about? It's about talking to people. It's about listening to people. It's about communication skills. Well, I'd say women generally are better at that than men. Um, I've heard people in our industry say that men are better salespeople and better at hitting targets than women. Well, having worked for a sales company for five years where I work with a lot of female um, salespeople, I think that's a load of nonsense. I think women are just as capable of hitting targets. So I just think it's historical misogyny, really, um, in, that, in financial services. I don't understand it. You know, my two female advisors are brilliant. You know, they've got some skills different to me and Bruce. Um, but they've, you know, some areas they're strong than us, other areas they're maybe not as strong. But there's no reason why a woman can't be a financial planner. I think the way to bring them through, I mean, both of mine were actually power planners before and they came through that field. Um, and I think if you bring more younger people through, Right. You know, it's no good me going out and recruiting advisors in their 50s and I want to have more women advisors in that industry because they'll be 84% no. male. So if you bring through graduates, you know, I mean, one of our graduates is, is female. For now, she's choosing to go down the power planner route, but that may change. Um, but yeah, I, I just do not understand why they're not more female advisors. I know some amazing female advisors, some amazing female business owners in this industry. And I really do think it should be much more 50-50. You know, I've got some staff here that are thinking about going through that yeah. route in the future as a female advisor. Yeah, so some of it is historical, clearly. And obviously you've got some systemic issues around maternity and how all of the, those things are structured. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that because when you've got a cut, um, financial planning and it's 90% recurring income as a lot of our firms are and one of my female advisors um she adopted children and um we paid for her maternity leave uh because there was renewal income coming in and we could then create a family friendly advisor environment for her where she could be a great mum and a great advisor um and you can do both so I think that's just a problem to solve. So I'm going to push back on that, Abraham. Oh, absolutely. Please push back. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that's totally welcome. Uh, and to, to my mind, it's, we, I, I think we, we have a responsibility to, to, to correct some of these um, inefficiencies or, or problems within, within the industry. Part of the solution, of, of course, is you know bringing younger people into the industry and making sure that you you have um, you know you have diversity within, within that um, entrance. The other part of it is you know leadership, as you said, you know making sure that we have uh, leadership, you know that that you you have you know women leaders within within the profession. Um, 
Uh, and I, I, I extend this in, 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 in other ways. So for instance, we're putting together uh, our conference later uh, in, in May, so, you know, the, the Advisor 3.0 conference. And, you know, whenever we get speakers suggested to us, right, I say, I want more women in that pool, you know, that we're going to pick, you know, that we're going to pick speakers from. And I, I have to be honest with you, you really have to think, you really have to rack your head to come up with, because you're picking from the pool of, you know, people in the industry. And if, if, uh, if 80% of the people in the industry are men, then you're going to get more and more uh, men suggested to you as speakers, and you end up perpetuating this uh, ridiculous status quo. You know, so so I you know I say to my team, we have to make sure that relative to the industry, women leaders are more represented or are better represented within our speakers, within our management team. We don't always get it right. You know, I have six people on my management team um, and only two of them are, are female, which is, I don't know, the math, that's 30%. Uh, but it could be better. We have to do better. And that's the only way we can solve these problems. Well, yes, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one thing here, which I'm a business Please. person. I don't want my business to be as successful as it can be, as profitable as it can be, because then I can pay my staff really well and I can provide new technology and new developments to my clients. So I recruit the people that I think are the best at the job. Oh, I don't absolutely. do quotes. Yes. So, so I, I, have, I have two female advisors because they're great. I've got a management team because they're great. I don't really care if they're men or women. And I've got quite a diversified um staff from different backgrounds different races and again i'm not doing it to tick some sort of quota box i do it because you know i worked in australia for two years as an immigrant i'm gonna say um <laughs> and uh people that come over here as immigrants you know generally pretty hard working so you know I, i'm just doing it because i think these are great people to work with with great attitudes um and that's it i'm i'm not doing it for some sort of quota I understand your issue, though, and I would be trying to have a diversified um, speaker, if, uh, speaker, you know, list if, if I was you as well. You know, my, my point is that it's better business, you know, it's because you have greater diversity of thoughts an expression in the room. If you just recycle the same sort of speaker, you know, what is it they say? You know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you end up getting the, 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 the same result. So absolutely, it has to come from, from a point of, um, you know, it being a better business, which um, I, I believe that it is. Uh, let's, let's start to wrap this up, Julian. So, you're, I know you're only 35, you just turned 35. <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah, maybe a little bit more than that. But anyway, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> um, so, you know, what's next for the business when you think about, you know, key issues around, you know, growth, right? You know, how far, you know, how, how much further do you think that the business can go? And how do you think about this issue of, you know, succession planning, you know, at some point, um, 
you would have to what is what is it called what was the phrase hanging your boots or never hanging your boots how, how do you think about uh, where the business goes go, go goes from here um on those two uh fronts okay yeah good question yeah well i i have um huge aspirations to grow the business i i i'm planning by the end of this decade we'll be turning over around about nine and a half ten million pounds um, I think that's quite reasonable. We can probably do that pretty much organically anyway, um, based on our normal growth rates. But I expect um, with some of the ideas we've got and the young graduates coming through and the, the talented team of people, I really have got a fantastic team of people here. And obviously you're only interviewing me here, Abraham, but I have an amazing team of you know 20 people plus outsourced people like you and accountants that really make the business what it is. Um, but yeah, I am 55. Um, Bruce is not much younger than me. Um, I have a huge energy. So my plan is to carry on work in this industry, but slow down. So I currently do a, a four day week, you know, I have at least 10 weeks a year holiday. So I'll work really hard when I'm working. Um, my plan is to go down to three days. In fact, my role model in this industry is Sandy Robertson. Um, and uh, I was chatting to him a few years ago and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, uh, he runs Acumen, which is a brilliant firm up in Scotland. He says, yeah, I'm doing a three day week, Julian. I'm just coming down to all these conferences chatting to friends and people I like and just doing all the fun bits of the job and then someone else does all the bits I don't like and compliance and all that sort of stuff. So he's my role model. Now, I met him last week at uh, another conference. He said, well, I'm down to one day a week now, Julian, so you've got a bit of catching up to do. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I think what I want to do, uh, yeah, I, I, within a few years, I should be financially independent, as, as we all should be if we're financial planners. But I want to sort of step back and do less and less work, but I still love it. So I expect in, if you're interviewing me in 10 years' time, I'll still be doing the job, but hopefully on a two-day week with maybe 15 weeks holiday. But what that means I need to bring people through because you can't do it if you don't bring people through. So I'm currently working with one of your speakers, actually Rob Stevenson, to work through a new business plan. Um, we have a management team in place, but I need to grow them and need to develop them and nurture them further. So if they're going to step up, they need to have the skills to do that to free up myself and Bruce's time to step back. So that's what we want to do moving forward. Um, but we're also doing very much a lot around giving back now. So we're doing a lot of work there. A lot of our clients have built up really large portfolios. They've actually got, according to my timeline modeling that I do with you, they've got too much money. And even even on a worst case cash flow scenario, starting in 1968, which is the year I was born, which always seems to be the worst case for some reason. I know you've touched the figures on that one, Abraham, I suspect. But uh, they all show that they're going to have a, a million pounds left in the pot, even with a bad scenario. So I was like, look, there's only so much you can give to each other and the kids. Why don't you give it to charitable causes? So we're doing this philanthropy and do, looking at, we're creating donor advice funds for clients where they can give money away to, to, um, to worthy causes. We've got our own donor advice fund that we're running now. We're running three charities within that, which is Oracle Cancer Trust, um, Young Minds, and a charity supporting Ukraine. Uh, we're going to be doing some company walks this year, um, some sponsored events. Uh, we do every month, one of our staff gets to gift uh, money to a charity of their choice and the employee of the year gets a, a big amount to gift away. So we want to do a lot more in the community. As I say, I like to do work within the financial planning community, share ideas, you know, hopefully give some good ideas out, hopefully get some good ideas back. I really enjoy meeting up other advisors at various different conferences and networking events. We're doing a lot more in the community. So we're doing some work in schools. 
with the PFS, um, you know, free education for children. We're doing work in the community. So last year we helped out a zoo that was a charity and we did some voluntary work in that zoo. We've done some work with Round Table, um, done some work around food banks, so things like that. We're really looking to try and give back um, to the community. You know, I, I, it's been a fantastic industry to join. I've, really, I've loved the journey. Um, it can be quite well paid. Um, so now I've got to a point where I'd like to sort of give back to the industry, give back to the community. Part of the reason I've, you know, set up the graduate program is, is to give back to, you know, society and to give back to new people, create new people with new careers that are paying tax. You know, um, I've, I've had a pretty good life so far. I hope it goes on for a lot longer. Um, but I'd like to give back and, you know, life's been quite good to me. I want to be good to other people as well. It's incredible, incredible stuff. Um, I, I like the energy. I like the vision. I like the difference that you're making, uh, you know, to, to your team, to, to the wider profession, uh, and of course, to, to society. So, Julian Gilbert, thank you very much for your time. Hey, Bram, as always, it's been an incredible pleasure to talk to you today. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Pytech Low Cost Flat Fee Model Portfolio Manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you. I'm here to tell you all about Advisor 3.0 Change Agents. The must attend conference for financial planners is happening in London on 18th of May 2023. Sizzling keynote speakers include Baroness Karen Brady, CBE, and the legend that is Seth Golden plus Ola Abdul and Sean Hegarty. Co-hosted by Abraham Okasanya and Robin Wigglesworth, guests can enjoy an insightful interactive panels, debates, networking, Q&A sessions, and so, so much more. Grab them now at www.timeline.co forward slash advisor 3.0.